Welcome, I'm your host, Greg McEwen, the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Essentialism and Effortless. I'm on this journey with you to learn how to be better at negotiation and conflict resolution. Have you ever experienced tension in your relationships at work or at home? Have these tensions ever lasted for an extended period of time? Where the communication became frozen, the relationship strained or even estranged? Are any of these tensions occurring right now? What would happen if you could immediately dissolve that tension? What if you could shift from gossiping about each other to supporting each other? What if you could unfreeze the communication and have it flow openly and naturally again? Today, I will share a story that changed my life. Also, something I am learning and actionable advice. By the end of this episode, you will be able to eliminate tension in almost any relationship. Let's get to it. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Remember to teach the ideas in this episode 
to someone else within the next 24 to 48 hours of listening. You might listen to the podcast together and talk about it afterwards. At 2.54 a.m. on the 12th of October, 1984, a bomb detonated in a hotel in Brighton, England. The blast brought down a five-ton chimney stack, which crashed down through the floors into the basement, leaving a gaping hole in the hotel's facade. Fireman said that many lives were saved because of the well-built Victorian hotel remaining standing. The bomb was an assassination attempt from the Provisional Irish Republican Army, the IRA, against the members of the British government. 31 people were injured, five people died. Margaret Thatcher, the then Prime Minister, had been up working on her conference speech for the next day and barely escaped. I was seven years old at the time of that bombing. I still remember waking up and hearing about it. The troubles, as they were called in Northern Ireland, felt personal to me. My grandfather was from Northern Ireland, along with his parents and grandparents and extended family. What stands out to me now is how normal it all was. It seemed like news just in was often about the latest IRA bomb. Even beyond the trauma of it all was the quiet unease that left its residue everywhere and on everyone. Long before terrorism was a term widely used in the United States, we had known it and had lived with it. And there was this sense, I never remember spoken exactly, that this would never be resolved. It had been going on for a hundred years. The next prime minister, John Major, came into office determined to do something about it. He said, The whole of my adult life, I remembered the same headlines. The people barely noticed of a soldier killed, another civilian murdered, another teenager beaten up, and people had almost got themselves in a mood where they had accepted it. Northern Ireland was different, and therefore it rolled on, and you moved on to the next item of news. Well, I didn't think that was right. I thought that would be utterly unacceptable if it was in Surrey or Northumberland. And it cannot be acceptable in Northern Ireland. Let's see what can be done about it. According to the Major Years documentary, for some time the Prime Minister had been kept informed of a secret link between the IRA and the British government by which information between the warring parties could be exchanged. Later in February 1993, Downing Street received a message through the link, apparently from the IRA. It was passed immediately to the Prime Minister. It was a very startling message indeed. It said, the conflict is over, but we need your help to bring it to a close. And then expanded on that thought. It was the first signal from the IRA that they might be open to a dialogue in order to negotiate a permanent ceasefire. And this gave John Major the impetus to bring parties together to begin such a dialogue, even though the IRA later denied having sent that message. His goal was to create a set of principles that could underpin a full-scale peace settlement and be the basis of an Anglo-Irish declaration. John Major said, everybody was suspicious of everybody else. 
And so the trick was to produce a declaration that would produce a whole stream of principles that upon these key points and others would reassure the unionists, the nationalists, and bring in the paramilitaries to see that there was a reason to turn to a democratic approach. Complicating all of this, the violence continued even as the negotiation did. The temptation was to end all dialogue, but Major continued the talks despite the violence. And the first declaration of common principles was agreed to. The way was opened for further talks. And eight months later, the IRA called for a ceasefire which lasted for the next 18 months. Major said, the Taisha, uh, the Prime Minister of Ireland by a different name, and I have now agreed on a joint declaration on Northern Ireland. It is a declaration for democracy and dialogue, and it is based on consent. It makes no compromise on strongly held principles. This early progress suddenly gained even greater momentum when Tony Blair came into office in a massive electoral swing. It gave him the political capital to hold direct talks with the parties involved. Within 14 days of becoming prime minister, he went to Northern Ireland. On October 13, 1997, for the first time in, let's say, 75-ish years of conflict, a British prime minister met with the leader of Sinn Féin, the unofficial political wing of the Irish Republican Army. When speaking to reporters afterward, Prime Minister Tony Blair defended his cordial treatment of Adams. Blair said, I treated Jerry Adams and the members of Sinn Féin in the same way as I treat any human being. And what I think is important about the situation here in Northern Ireland is that we do actually treat each other as human beings. Tom Kelly, who was the Director of Communications in the UK government's Northern Ireland office leader, said, most of us had baggage with Northern Ireland, which actually made it more difficult. What was lacking was the engagement of the Northern Ireland political parties with each other. The question became, can you get these warring parties around the same table? And one of the breakthroughs in being able to get these parties to talk to each other was first an invitation from Tony Blair to the leaders of Sinn Féin. He said of that meeting, and a lot of those first meetings were me listening with Martin McGuinness explain what it was like to be a Republican and why they felt that the British had treated the Irish so badly. And they were then able to go back to their people and say, no, we are sitting in Downing Street around the cabinet table with that guy. And we're telling him, we're telling him how we feel. And I was lucky, he goes on, at the time because I had the political space to do it. It wasn't causing me huge problems. Right after that meeting, the leader of Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams, a man who for years while I was growing up was not allowed to even be seen on television. And he said, and all of us have to learn about how to move on from the old failed agenda. And we shouldn't underestimate the difficulties. At the same time, this was a good moment. That, that's what was happening. They were being allowed to talk, and for hours, and at number 10 Downing Street, 
to be really heard. And it changed everything. At the time, Tom Kelly explained, only 13% of people believed that the peace talks would be successful within the time frame that had been set. 87% did not. From his point of view, the learned pessimism of a quarter of a century of failed attempts. And even when they met finally together to try to negotiate a new agreement based on the principles that John Major had originally outlined. When they got there, Blair said, we arrived and David Trimble said, there's absolutely no way I am signing this. It's an outrage. And the Sinn Féin people said they weren't going to sign it in any event, whatever happened. In a spontaneous press conference right at the beginning of this, Blair said, I feel the hand of history upon our shoulder. And then they spent the next three days in the most intense negotiations imaginable. Literally all day and most of the night for three days. This was a massive agenda, an ambitious agenda to try to take on power sharing, decommissioning of weapons, trying to figure out what to do with the policing situation dismantling all of this security apparatus that had grown up for the last 30 years. How do you handle the prisoners on both sides? Kelly says that the government had recognized that you had to address all those issues at once, in the same place and at the same time, and that's what distinguished it from every other attempt by the British government for the last quarter of a century. At times, according to Blair, it looked as if They'd lost the whole thing. Still, it all crescendoed in 1998 into the Good Friday Agreement, an historic agreement for peace in Northern Ireland. After the announcement, Blair went out, talked to the press. I want to say this to the politicians and the people of Northern Ireland with all the force that I can muster. Even now, this will not work unless in your will and in your mind you make it work unless we extend the hand of friendship to those who were once foes, unless before we condemn, we at least try to see the other side. Kelly made this observation. He said it only happened because he kept at it. He kept at it, he kept at it, he kept at it, and he kept at us to keep at it. That's why 20 years later, my children have grown up in a different world. Keeping at it led to one of the most extraordinary relationship turnarounds in recent political memory. The point of this can be summarized by something George Thompson has said, that empathy absorbs tension. Understanding eliminates tension. That image of Sinn Féin being in number 10 Downing Street and being listened to for hours. And I'm not saying for a second that everything that was said in that meeting was true in that sense of really seeing the whole picture, the richest view, not saying that at all. Empathy, of course, isn't even agreeing. It's not saying that somebody else is right. You're not even making that judgment call. You're just letting people be seen, be heard know that their story, their experience 
matters. And the more people feel heard, the less they feel they need to maintain that tension, to maintain that resistance. Let's go back to the questions at the beginning. Have you ever experienced tension in your relationships at work or at home? Yes, it might not be like the troubles in Northern Ireland, but have these tensions you've experienced ever lasted for an extended period of time? Where the communication became frozen, the relationship strained or even estranged. Are any of these tensions occurring right now? What would happen if you could immediately dissolve that tension? What if you could shift from talking about each other to talking with each other? What if you could unfreeze the communication and have it flow openly and naturally again? I was asked in my final interview to do my doctorate at Cambridge University whether I believed my proposed research could change the world. That question took me off guard, but how I loved the question. I responded by saying, it depends what you mean by changing the world. I said, growing up, I have been witness to it changing the world in the Northern Ireland conflict. I've seen how understanding each other changes everything from conflict to cooperation. But then I said, in conflicts closer to home, there may be an even greater opportunity to change the world between parents and their children, between partners, between spouses, between siblings, and at work too, between warring organizations, between executive disagreements, lawsuits that could be resolved by the right approach, divorces that neither party actually wants could be changed. So whether in matters of high politics or in our teams or with our customers or at home, empathy, understanding can change the world. The word empathy comes from a Latin word and a Greek word. M is from Latin. It means to see through. And pathy is Greek, and it means the eye of the other. So empathy is to see through the eye of the other. And in my experience, it is among the most dramatic changes that can take place between two people. What it takes in most situations is for one person, you, to show the initiative. It's a little like that experience when you go into an elevator and if you say nothing to the other person, they will almost certainly say nothing to you. You'll stand there in awkward silence. But if you look at the other person and you smile at them and you say hello openly, they will almost certainly match and sometimes quite exactly the energy and tone and feeling of what you're expressing. And if you go further than that, if you have a full conversation with them, you'll find that not all the time, but most of the time, they will reciprocate what you offer to them. And so it is with understanding and with empathy. So the initiative 
and also therefore the power lies within us to at least take the first step, to listen and to listen when people say things that you really disagree with, to recognize that empathy is not the same as agreement. You're not sitting there judging, do I agree, do I disagree? Are they right, are they wrong? Is my experience different to them? You'll have your chance. You can earn the right to express your side of it, but not right now, not first. We have spent so much of our lives agreeing or disagreeing. It's almost like we don't know sometimes that there is an alternative to that, that we can listen with the intent not to agree. We can listen not with the intent to disagree. We're not standing in judgment. We're not listening with the intent even to solve, to do something. We're listening with a game-changing intent, which is to understand, because that is seriously a huge part of why people become frozen in their communication in the first place. Here's the pattern of what you can do. Invite the other person to talk and then let them talk. Your goal is not to take any of it personally. You've got to put on your emotional armor because this isn't even about you. And the hardest thing, of course, is if what they're saying is on the surface about you. If they're saying, well, you did this and you said that, and when you did this, it really hurt my feelings, and when you took this action, this showed me what kind of person you are. I mean, that's the hardest kind of listening. But if they're talking, that's progress. After you've given them a chance to talk for a while, use this phrase. It's such a powerful phrase. We'll keep coming back to this again and again. Let me make sure I understand you. Let me make sure I understand you. We'll stop the other person talking instantly, which is evidence right before your eyes that the real issue is understanding. You don't even have to say, let me solve this problem for you. In fact, if you do that, you'll get a worse response. Okay, let me take some action. No, what they want is to be understood. There comes a time for some action, for some change, but the understanding and the misunderstanding is really the jugular issue under the surface. So when you say, let me make sure I understand you, they'll stop talking. They will listen. And your job in that moment, of course, is to try to express in your own words what they've been saying undefensively. Put into your own words what you think they're trying to express. Capture, if you can, the full emotion. I've been working on this myself for literally the last 25 years. I have learned a lot in that journey. And I've learned that the statement, let me make sure I understand you, is the gateway to opening up a frozen, friction-filled, resistant 
relationship. So my specific actionable advice to you is to use the phrase, let me make sure I understand you at least once in the next 24 to 48 hours. What if you could unfreeze communication in a relationship that is strained or even estranged? What if you could eliminate tension in any relationship? Unresolved tensions at work are the essence of dysfunction there. People stop talking with each other and instead start talking about each other. Think of the economic costs of that. Unresolved tensions at home can make relationships toxic. The culture in the home, toxic. Partners stop talking with each other. Parents stop speaking with their children. A teenager stops speaking with their parents. We can live together and still lose each other. Unresolved tensions between a brother and a brother, a sister and a sister. Think of the cost you have paid. In the troubles of your life, there is a way out. The way out is empathy. It's understanding. These are the most powerful words in the English language. Thank you, really, for listening. Would you like to develop the skills we've been talking about in this episode, in a live series, where we can actually practice them in negotiation and conflict resolution scenarios? If so, sign up at essentialism.com forward slash negotiation, and I'll let you know as soon as we're ready to run the first one. If you have found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review of this episode will receive a copy of Effortless. So just send a photo of your review to info at gregmcewen.com. If you haven't already done it, please sign up for the One Minute Wednesday free newsletter. You can sign up at gregmcewen.com forward slash 1MW and get access to all sorts of additional resources for free to support you and others in this journey. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, perhaps do it with other people so that teaching them is easier and you're expanding your influence where you are so you can receive and then teach the next episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously 
which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.